I, I wanted to continue with this passage because we've been reading and uh, we've been talking about what it's like using our church meeting right now, this gathering in an outward place is a bit like a wilderness. We have endured two summers. We have endured a winter together. And sometimes it blew very cold. We had heaters in here and we endured all these things. But I'm to tell you that, that those days are about over. And I'm praying, there's got one person saying amen. I'm saying that we could possibly be in our new building by next week. Can you put your hands together and celebrate today? So I want you to keep an eye out. If you, don't, if you have not already liked the Live City Church Facebook page or our Instagram account, can I, can I encourage you today to make sure you like it? Because we will communicate to you towards the end of the week whether or not we're going to be meeting in our new building. I believe in faith that we will be in the new building. It feels very strategic. I'll tell you why. Uh, we had a guest speaker. He's a general of the faith. His name is Pastor Alan Wills. And he uh, was told that on the north side of Brisbane, it's impossible to build a thriving church because it is a church graveyard on the north side of Brisbane. Well, this pastor in faith said, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. And he built one of the largest churches there at the time when he finally uh, finished up. 750 people would attend on a Sunday service. They bought property. They bought land. It was beautiful. And it still is beautiful. And so this man of the faith came and preached for us. He is now preaching to millions of people a year. Well, COVID has kept that from happening. He still speaks to thousands, hundreds of thousands. And uh, when he was with us, uh, in 2019, he told us when he was there, he said, Paul, you've got to get out of this place. It's too small for you. You can't grow here. The ceilings are so low. The walls are surrounding you. You are tucked away at the end of a street. No one goes there unless they live here. He says, you need to be in the city ZB CBD. You need to be in the capital and set up something big and large there. Well, it just so happens we plan to be meeting in that center today, and we couldn't do it because... We were routed. The carpet tiles that we were promised did not come in. And the report that we expected to be passed on was not passed until this week. And we are believing God. We have found another way to get tiles. that We had carpet tiles promised to us, and it did not arrive. And it's not going to be given to us. And tiles uh, will be, cost us about eight to $10,000. So we prayed Thursday a couple weeks ago when I first told them the news. And by 9 o'clock that morning, we already had a solution. It was Stephen Wallace who contacted Marty, who contacted me and said, go look at Facebook Marketplace at this link. We can buy enough tiles for the whole building and more. And it's costing us $2,000. Praise the Lord. So that is the reason why we're not in the building today, because we don't have the carpets. Without the carpet, you cannot get the place approved. A final tick-off. So we should be receiving that on Tuesday, and by Wednesday and Thursday it should be laid. And I'm anticipating that we'll get the whole place approved by Thursday or Friday, which means that we're going to meet there on Sunday morning. And the guest preacher who's going to be preaching that, that I planned for since t uh, last year, is Pastor Alan Wills, the same one that told us you need to leave that building. Tell me that's not an act of God. You've got to give glory to the Lord for that. So the Lord's timing is always perfect, and the delay that we've had has been good for us because we needed to stash a whole bunch of money for things that we did not expect. The cost of moving in is quite substantial, 
but we are going to have money left over at the end of the day. You got to give glory to the Lord. These are praise moments right now. And we want to thank the Lord for this. And when you see it, uh, I think you'll understand and appreciate it more. When it's done and you move in, you're going to be shocked as you walk into that place now. So don't go see it until I tell you. Don't even visit, okay? I want it to be a surprise, and it will blow your mind. Amen? So the people of Israel were about to enter into new territory. It was a promised land, and it was a vision that God had given his people many years ago through Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and, and who was re later renamed Israel, and to the descendants of Israel called the Israelites. And so they knew they had this hope that there is a promise that we are moving into a new land, a place of promise. And Moses, the great deliverer of Israel, was raised up in his hour to bring the people of Israel out of a place of bondage and slavery into the new land, but he sinned against God. And the Bible tells us that he could not enter the land because he rebelled against the living God. And so at the age of 120, Moses passed, and the mantle was passed on to his aide, Joshua, who was also a general in the fighting army. He was also 80 years old when the Lord called him. And a couple weeks ago, I was preaching about how God gave the instruction to Joshua. He bowed down. He worshiped the Lord. And he was praying towards his first encounter because if, Josh, if Jericho did not fall the very first battle, they would win no other battles. They had to strategically win this first battle, not just physically, but emotionally they needed to win this one because it would determine future victories, future battles. Jericho had to fall. And so as they entered into this next battle, the Bible tells us in the verse just before that, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. Which land? The promised land, which tells us those six other nations that had yet to be defeated are hearing word about an army so great that their God goes into battle with them, that their God will even part the seas and drown their enemies, that their God will crush walls without lifting a single weapon. Come on, you've got to give praise to God. I am speaking spiritually right now. That there are battles that you will be engaging in if you're not already engaging in. And so when you go to prayer, the Bible says that the Lord speaks. And so an angel of the Lord, many commentators believe that it was actually the, the pre-incarnate Jesus appears because he says, I'm the captain, the host of the armies of the living God. That is a title reserved for Jesus. The captain of the host of the armies of the living God. And he tells him this. He says, the battle has already been decided you will win. And this is how you are to do it. And they followed this to the letter of the law, and God performed a miracle that just stole the heart of the people of that land. And so there was this joy in the camp of Israel as they realized God is with us. Every battle we fight, we're going to win. Some preachers will tell you there was an overconfidence with the people of Israel at this time when they decided, nah, we don't need to send all the armies of God. We just need to send two or 3,000 men. It wasn't, it wasn't arrogance. It wasn't pride. There was simply confidence in the Lord. But let me ask you a question as I open. Have you ever enjoyed 
the sweet smell of victory <laughs> one moment, and just when you became confident in your first steps, you also experienced the incredible stench of failure. Has anyone ever been there in that place? Some of you guys, thank you so much. The rest, uh, I hope that the Lord will convict your heart. But I remember when I was in high school, I loved sports. One of my greatest sports that I played every single year was soccer. And I played all the positions, but the one that I finished off with the most was fullback. I could shut down the strikers. I played striker. I knew how to shut them down. And this particular year, uh, we were short someone with a left foot who could kick the left foot. The coach saw that I had a good, strong kick, and I could take it far up the field towards the front near the, the other goal. So he says, I want you, Paul, I want you to learn how to use your left foot, okay? I want to put you on a left fullback position so you can just kick that ball like you do it with your right foot, take it up there, okay? And this year was a significant year because we were going to not just battle and go into these competitions against the normal schools we played against, we were going to culminate the entire year by going to Singapore. We lived in Penang Islands, remote island in Malaysia, and we were traveling around. We traveled for weeks. We'd have two weeks, and we'd be uh, basically competing every single day. And we had our arch rivals, ISKL, the International School of Kuala Lumpur. They were American school, boarding school. We were an American boarding school. We were Christians, and we knew how to pray. So we thought if we prayed, God would give us a victory over them. And so we were praying because it came time as we played in Singapore that we were going to battle this team. And us fullbacks got together. We decided they are not going to get through. We're going to shut them down. They are not going to get a single goal past us. It was a prophetic word. And so we did. We were smashing them. We were kicking the ball up. I was in fine form. My confidence is gone. Bam! Hitting the ball right up there every time it made way. They could not score a goal on us. Sadly, we couldn't score a goal on them. And everything was going fine until it began to rain. And over in Malaysia, in those days in Singapore, we had torrential rain like the rains we've had recently. Torrential rain. Rather than call the game because it was tight and the schools are only there for a certain season, they kept the ball going. They kept the game going. And so now things are getting really sticky. It's getting difficult. The ball, as you kick it, sometimes it would go. Sometimes it would get stuck in a puddle. Other guys are sliding and slipping. And I remember somehow ISKL kicked a ball, and it was going near to our goal. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to get to the ball in time. But I have an opportunity, a moment, where I might have some glory. The ladies are looking on. My fellow athletes are looking on. And all my glory, I'm going to pull a Pele. You know the Pele? Bicycle kick. I'm going to go upside down. I'm going to kick the ball because I can reach the ball faster than I can trying to jump with my head because I can do it real quick in a split second. I've done it before. Ladies and gentlemen, I've done it before. So I did this flip, and it was looking really good. In that moment, I just thought, the chicks are going to talk about this for time to come. Again, very prophetic. But I didn't reach the ball in time. I touched the ball, but I couldn't get my, my foot behind the ball to toss it the way it was meant to go. And instead of sending the ball in the other direction, it tipped my foot. And the goalkeeper didn't even see it, went straight into our goal. The only goal of the day. 
I had to live that down, not just for that day, that evening, that entire trip, but that entire year in shame. From a place of confidence to a place of abject failure. Why is it when things are going so well, I'm going to speak spiritually speaking now, things are going so well when sometimes a bottom just falls out? And you can't figure out what went wrong. Sometimes the things that go wrong are because of your own doing in the sense of you made a mistake, you made a bad call, you know. There are other times when we find out that God gives the devil permission to mess up your life. Okay? And God does that because he sets you up for success. He knows that you're going to succeed, and when you succeed, when you've been tested, you'll be stronger than you ever were before, and God can propel you to a new level. Some of you are going through hardships. Some of you are going through challenges. Some of you are going through trials. You're thinking to yourself, oh, poor me. Woe is me. I'm saying, no, 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 no. God allowed that. If you're living righteously before the Lord, God allows that in your life to strengthen you, to test you, to send you to a new level. But there are other times it's just sin. And this Bible is telling us in the story about the secret sins. If you're wondering what the title of the message is, it's secret sins. We can't understand why we're being routed. And this is the thing I want you to understand. This defeat came as a surprise. It was not a given. They had just seen the hand of God worked so powerfully in an incredible victory that was not expected in the least. God was with them that their confidence went up. They understood we can take this entire land down, every single nation in the land. In fact, they said to Joshua, not all the people have to go up against Ai. Sounds very confident. And it is. Israel was enjoying the benefits of serving God. He told them, I will make covenant with you. If you will be careful to follow all my laws and commandments, I will fight for you. Your battles are my battles because we're in covenant together. They can't attack you without attacking me. And when I bring vengeance, I bring it down. I'm bringing my foot down, God says. And so they understood this for the first time they are seeing. This is a new generation. Remember, all the people that came out of Egypt had died out. These are now their kids, and they would not seen God do what he just did. So their confidence went right up. It's not a bad thing. It is not arrogance. It is a confidence of God. And someone needs to write this one down. The posture of kingdom citizens is that we do not expect defeat. I want you to get this into your spirit. As a kingdom citizen, if you're following God the way you're supposed to, if you're living a righteous life to the best of your ability, and when you stuff up, when you do, you are making right before God. You're looking for ways to to get rid of sin in your life. God is going to bless you. You will not suffer defeat. So I need to say this again. The posture of kingdom citizens is that we do not expect or accept defeat. It's simply not ours. Do you understand that? This is a big deal. Some of you are still wondering. You're still victims. And I want to get you out of a victim mentality. Some of you, oh, I can't help it. This happened to me. They did that to me. No, no, no. That is not the posture of kingdom citizens. We live victorious lives. Even when it seems that you're at your worst, 
that you've been defeated, you are actually standing in position of victory. If only you could hear the enemy speaking about you and they're terrified of you, you would begin to bolster your confidence. When you do what is right in God's sight, it will keep you in the place of blessing and power. I'm speaking to people, I pray I'm speaking to the right church. I'm speaking to a people who understand that they are kingdom citizens. You are ambassadors of the kingdom. Here's the thing that, that uh, was revelation to me. If you are indeed ambassadors, a word the Bible tells us we're ambassadors of the kingdom, who does the actual fighting in a war? The ambassadors or the soldiers? You get the idea? Soldiers go to battle for you because you're the ambassador, which means that you are so valuable in the kingdom that they will not allow you to fight. Now, there's things you need to do. You need to call for help. You need to be sending information out. You should be communicating, absolutely. But the ambassador does not do the battle. That's what the soldiers do. The Bible says there's a host of an army of the living God. They do the battle. Do you understand the position now? So that even when it seems like in the world you are beaten, in fact, you are not. It's just setting you up for the next victory that God has for you. But here we have a problem because we're introduced to the character of Achan or Achan. Achan, his name actually means troublemaker. Isn't that interesting? That's a lot. Achan. <laughs> Achan. Trouble is coming. I want to give you four key lessons that I want you to grab hold of this because I want you to be able to walk with confidence as a kingdom citizen. Okay? Taking territory. You are not the victim here. You are an ambassador. You stand and you enforce the kingdom. You represent the king. Let's follow with me. Here's the first one. Little things matter to God. It was just one person. He only stole a few things. It wasn't going to be missed at all. You're going to burn it down anyway. No one is going to miss it. It wasn't so much that it was obvious that Ahan had stolen. It was little. It was, it was worth, you know, worth a lot. But remember, all the people that came out of Egypt were laden with treasures. They, God had given them, them favor. They asked the Egyptians before they left for gold, silver, precious jewels, and they dumped it on them and said, get out of our country. Just take it go. So they were already wealthy. But Ahan saw something and wanted more. Just one person caused so much trouble for an entire nation. If you're wondering if little things matter, how many people have gone camping before? Can I see your hands? Nice and high and proud. Okay, how many people slept in a tent? Keep your hand up if that's you. You slept in a tent. Have you ever had a mosquito in your tent with you? Little things matter. In our house, we have flies during the summertime when you keep the door open, they get in, and somehow they make their way upstairs into our bedroom. And at that point, it's nighttime. We're too tired to go downstairs and find the spray. And I'm not going to try and, and, and swat it because it's in my lamp. And so we just sort of put up with it. But how annoying is that one little thing? Recently, my nephews and my niece and my daughter were chasing a cockroach. They didn't go to get the spray and then spray it. They decided to chase the cockroach who got away from them. 
I thought that was the end of it until there was a blood-curdling scream at 10.30 at night as my daughter comes running. Ah! We chased it. We didn't know where it went to. And then I felt some rustling in my hair, and the cockroach was in my hair. If you're wondering if little things matter, it does. <laughs> David did a little thing in his time as king. When God did not instruct him to, he decided... I am going to take a census of the people of Israel. It's just some numbers. I just want to see some numbers on paper. No, no, David, that's a secret sin. You disobeyed and rebelled against God. Only when God tells you, do you take a census. He did that because he wanted to become a little bit proud of his big army and his might and power. It was arrogance that took him down. It was secret, but it cost the lives of hundreds of thousands of Israelites in his time. The Bible tells us Adam and Eve just wanted a taste of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, just a little taste, and it ended up costing sin upon mankind forever. Here's the thing I want you to grab hold of in each of these stories. The devil didn't make them do it. Some of you in your sin, the devil made me do it. Well, that's what Eve said. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. The devil doesn't have power over you. To some people, you, you seem to think he's got this much power. He doesn't have that much power. And he certainly does not have power over the children of God. The Bible tells us he has to come before God, cap in hand, and God says, where were you? And he'll say, oh, I was just looking around the, looking around the nations of the world. And he says, have you considered my servant Ransford? <laughs> That's always trouble. Because only if God allows it is the enemy allowed to touch you, but he can't touch you. Is it any wonder that the most powerful arsenal in the weapon of the enemy is temptation? Listen to this. The only way the devil can bring trouble on your life outside of God's permission is when you give him permission. When you allow sin in your life, you actually grant permission for the enemy to come in and terrorize you. And that's why his greatest tool is temptation. Because if he can get you and entice you to sin, he's got you. I remember back in the day when I first started pastoring. It was 2003, January. And the Lord provided for me. It's crazy. I was only paid two days a week as a pastor to begin with. And I had to try and recoup money another way. And God actually started a business for me in IT. I would service small businesses. God gave me a mind for it. I could never understand. I'd walk, I'd walk in. Before I walked in, I'd pray in tongues as I drove in. God, I have no idea what I'm doing. Lord, you got to show me what I need to do. And before I got there, I knew what the problem was. I could call it in a second by the time I got there. It was just a revelation God gave me. And they were shocked. We had two other people come in. They couldn't fix it. How did you do it? Praying tongues, the Holy Spirit showed me. I just know. I told them at the time because I still wanted their business. I didn't want to freak them out. It was the Holy Spirit showed me what the problem was. But what I, would, what I would do back in those days, the Internet wasn't as popular as it was today, and you can access all kinds of information. I had to rely on magazines, computer magazines, to stay on top of the industry. I subscribed to three. I didn't have money to get a fourth or a fifth, so I just visit the news agent every now and then just to see if there's any articles I should be aware of. And interestingly enough, do you know where they situate the computer magazines? Right next to the porn. And so as you're walking your way through, and I'm trying to find these magazines, whoa, 
The first look is called temptation. That's not a sin. It's what you do with that temptation that determines whether it's a sin. It's the second look that will kill you. So what I would do is I would take my magazine, turn my back to it, and I would physically remove myself so that there was no possible way I could be tempted. Because my relationship with Jesus and my relationship with my wife were too valuable and too precious to simply throw away. Because I want to tell you, when you sin, you grant the devil legal right to mess up your life. Some of you, the reason why your life is a mess, why there's that problem in your life where it seems like you can't get ahead, but you're thinking to yourself, but I'm going to church, I'm praying, I'm doing all these other things. Yes, but there's sin in your life, the secret sin that maybe even your spouse doesn't know about. Here's the second key lesson I want you to grab hold of. There is a cost to sin. The Bible says that as a result of this, there were 36 wives that would not have their husband return to them that night. There were 36 families whose father was not going to be returning that evening. And an entire nation, the Bible says, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. In other words, doubt filled their minds so that they could no longer trust the living God. This had to be rectified. It had to be fixed. Otherwise, the people of Israel would not be able to inherit their promises. I was shocked when I saw and read this article about turtles. Did you ever hear about the alligator snapping turtle? Anyone heard about that? The alligator snapping turtle. Let me tell you about it. You've heard of snapping turtle. I didn't realize that they actually like to bite, snapping turtles. But the alligator snapping turtle grows to over 100 kilos. I'm 81 kilos. I put on a bit of weight. Think about something that's heavier than me, 20 more kilos plus some. That is an alligator snapping turtle found in the southeastern United States. It's a carnivore. doesn't eat plants. It's a carnivore. What it does is it opens its mouth. Now, the snapping turtle opens its mouth that much. We can open this much. Snapping turtle is that much. Some of you think, yeah, you don't know my wife yet. Oh, you know my husband yet. <laughs> but the alligator snapping turtle, its mouth is almost completely open. And it keeps it open the whole time. It hides among the rocks and blends with rocks. It's got, it looks like a, uh, a prehistoric turtle, the most unbelievable thing. And it's got a little tongue that's colored pink. And it, and it moves around like this, like a worm. And that's how it, it gets its prey. The fish or even small alligators will see that little worm that's moving around, try and grab hold of it, and then the jaws of the alligator snapping turtle are powerful, like an alligator, and clenches a victim and kills it. The idea, as you can see, is that oftentimes that sin looks attractive in that moment. And we can forget everything else. We're not even aware of the surroundings. And all we can see, no one will know. No one needs to know. I can always ask forgiveness from the Lord, and it's going to be okay. But it's not. There is a cost to your sin. The Bible tells us that David had a secret sin with Bathsheba. He did the census thing. And now he did this sin. 
a man after God's own heart. He sins at a time when kings go off to war. The Bible says David stayed home. His army was so amazing, he thought, I don't even need to go to battle. And it's in that time when you've got too much to do that sin comes. And he's looking over his castle walls, and he finds this chicky babe having a bath. Back in the day, they didn't have bathrooms like we do. And he's checking her out and ends up having a relationship with her secret sin. The Bible says it didn't stop there because the sin sprouted other things. She becomes pregnant. Now, he, the, the deception has to become a lie. And now he's got to try and convince the husband to come back from war, have relations with his wife, so that they can state that this is actually his kid. But this man was so honorable, he refused to spend time with his wife. He says, while I'm here resting with my wife, my fellow brothers are out there sleeping on the ground, fighting for their lives. I cannot do that to the Lord. I cannot do that to them. And he slept on the ground at the city gates. And so King David got even more wicked and added to his sin murder as he organizes with his generals, says, put this guy right up, Uriah, right up in the front of the battle, one of David's mighty men, and says, and I want you to pull back and get him killed. And they did. Horrible, wicked thing to do. Ananias and Sapphira, at a time when the church at that time was growing rapidly, people with property and houses, they just sell a house, bring the money, put it at the apostles' feet and say, use that and let's just feed all our people, clothe them, give them shelter. No one had need in the church at that time because everyone gave generously. But there was a couple, remember, no one had to do it. This is a love offering. Decided they wanted to sell their house, but they kept some of the money back, which is their right. But when they were asked the question by the apostle Peter, is this the entire proceeds of the sale of your property? They answered to Peter and said, yes, it is. It was a lie. And Peter said to them, because when you lied, you didn't just try to deceive me. You deceived the Holy Spirit, and he will hold you accountable. And that moment he died. The wife comes in later to look for a husband, and he asked her the same question. She said, yes, that is the entire proceed. And he told her the same thing. You didn't lie to me. You lied to the Holy Spirit, and instantly she died. There is a cost to sin. It will find you out. It will send your life into a spiral. Is everyone okay? Here's a third one. In times of trouble, seek God. Do you notice that in the story, Joshua did not pray before he went into battle? The Bible says that he began, and he followed some of it. He sent two spies like he did at Jericho, but he did not pray. Now, the interesting thing is, because he did not pray, the Bible says that God was not present in the battle. The Bible says that God did not give him a strategy for battle. He did not hear from God, but he went ahead and did the battle anyway and was struck a decisive blow. They did not win that battle. And here, have a look what happens next. It forces Joshua to pray. Can I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, that you don't wait until trouble comes on you before you begin to pray, but that in the good times, as well as in the bad times, you are praying and interceding for your family, praying and interceding for your business, praying and interceding for the church, praying and interceding for our city. Amen. Look at what happens when he does pray. 
He knew he needed to pray, and that's the most important thing I want you to grab from this. But you notice when he prays, he prays with an accusation. Look at this. He says, Lord, why did you bring this people, us, across the Jordan just to deliver us to the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Doesn't that sound exactly like the people of Israel? When Moses led them to the Red Sea? And they said, if only you had left us in Egypt, but instead you take us out of Egypt, what, to just let us die in this desert? Same exact complaint, because this guy came from that same generation. Wow. But here's the thing I want you to get. No matter why you pray, no matter how you pray, when you humble yourself before the Lord, He's going to give you a strategy for victory. Some of you are, uh, this is a, a prophetic word for you. You are struggling in a battle that you cannot, you cannot win, and you cannot see a way out. I'm here to tell you that when you humble yourself and pray, God will give you a strategy, a way out. For some people, when we pray, we pray for the wrong reasons. For some people, when we pray, we pray because we're lazy. I want to bring you to the fourth and last point. There's a time for prayer and a time for action. The Bible tells us that Joshua fell to his face. He is crying out to the living God. He's saying, God, you've got to help us. You did this to us. You did this to us. But he was humble. He waited on the Lord, and then God spoke. But listen to what he says. He doesn't say, there, there. Here's what we're going to do next. Instead, the Lord rebukes him. He says, stand up. What are you doing on your face? Get up and deal with the sin of the nation. Wow. This is, again, very similar to what happened to Moses. The Bible says that Moses, he knew the route that you would take to the promised land because he came from there. You go around the Red Sea. But the Lord told Moses, I want you to take the people to the Red Sea and wait for me there. And so the people were all content because God was supplying everything they needed. They laid laden down with treasures and silver and gold and precious jewels. They are now in a place of freedom. They don't have to serve another man anymore. They're so happy, but then they see, as they look back, Pharaoh is coming. Trouble is coming. We're going to die in this place. And they began to complain about Moses. They were ready to kill that man. And the Bible, it appears, he came and began to pray. Moses is praying, and God speaks to him. And the Lord says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, raise your hand, and the waters will part for you. So many times as Christians, we are praying, but we're not willing to do our part. We're praying for forgiveness for sin, but we're not actually willing to change. We're trying to bank on God's grace, but we are deliberately sinning. And God says, I want to bless you, but I can't. Why don't we stand to our feet as we close? 